tonight on the Lunar Podcast. Hey, you're gonna have to catch me if you want me to pay for every little thing I've done. I don't think that the full details will ever see the light of the sun. I never will forget that parking light on Eclipse Day. Tonight, we're going down a path I'm very interested in. We're going down this discussion of God and religion. And I've got a very special guest in the studio today. He comes to us from Hickson United Methodist Church. He is a director of student ministries. He's in school to be a pastor. This is what he's going to do. I am a pretty well-known organized religion skeptic. So I've got some questions about this big organized religion stuff. Got some questions. Never really been into it. Never been very active. He's agreed to come on and we're going to talk about some stuff. We will probably respectfully disagree about a few things, if not a lot of things, but I respect his point of view. He respects mine and we're just going to talk about it. So, Welcome to a very special metaphysical episode of the Lunar Podcast tonight. And who knows where we're going to go. But, looking forward to it. Alright, so, Kevin Gray is here. Hi, Kevin Gray. What's up? Kevin Gray is here. So, Kevin came in late one night, and we started with me asking him exactly what it is that he does in his job in the church. That's where we started. Teach from middle school, from sixth grade, all the way up to college and career is kind of a class, which is pretty broad of an age range. That's a pretty big swath. Yeah, and and so I teach, um, you know, I kind of run our program and all that kind of stuff at the church and and teach about the Bible. And then um, the other cool part about my job is that I get to... You know, when people are struggling with something, I get to kind of show up and be there for them or, and be there for people's biggest, you know, victories in life as, as well as struggles to, to mentor, honestly. And that's the work I really enjoy the most, I think. Okay, okay. so you're the director of student ministries. That's right. Is that what we uninitiated might call a youth pastor? Yes. How do we feel yes. about that term? Is that good? Uh, Methodists are a little protective about the word pastor. So oh, and, like I'm, yeah. I'm in that process to become one, but not. Oh, okay. So you can't, okay. you don't necessarily call me youth pastor other than like people in other denominations. That's just what it is. So I'm comfortable with it. Uh, that's kind of how I function, I think. But, but officially, that's how my job is. I'm a lecturer in English, but students don't know and don't care. So they'll call me professor. Yeah. James. So yeah. Technically, it's a different job title. I didn't realize there was a difference in that. Yeah, most people don't because most people outside of academia don't know and shouldn't care, frankly. It just doesn't matter. Yeah, but, I mean, it's um, a lot of technical. So you're at Hickson United Methodist Church right. in Hickson, Tennessee. How big is that church? How many members? Ooh, you know, when you ask that question, there's like the official membership role, which I'm not entirely sure about, but then there's attendance. And I think we're regular attendance, we're probably around 800, I think. Or so maybe a little less. Is that considered medium, big? That's I think pretty that's big. Considered right? a large church. Yeah, yeah it's not. Yeah, it's okay. not like a mega church, but it's definitely. I think for the most part, especially in the Methodist church, that's considered a large church. Okay. Well, I appreciate you coming in. I know you know this, but just for the listeners, 
um, the Lunar Podcast brings in people whom I think are doing interesting and unique things with their lives, and they're a little bit operating in a little bit different of a realm than than the typical life approach. So that's kind of how I see this podcast. We're bringing stories of people to our students to where we just talk about stuff relevant to the guest and also what we might be studying. And so the reason we have a church official in here, (laughs) a youth pastor, a director of student ministries, is because in my classes we often read Dante's Inferno. Okay. And we read this notion of Dante, who was a very devout, very devoted Christian at the time. This is 1300, 1315. Right. Right. There's an interesting period of church history, right? Right. right? So Dante was this very devoted Christian, and he was extremely critical of the church at the time. Yeah. Like that's the whole yeah. thing with the Divine Comedy, yeah. right? The whole he wrote it. I know you know, but just in case some of our listeners don't know or didn't study last night, there's this idea of he wrote it in the Italian Vulgate, right? He wrote it in the language of the common people. Mm-hmm. He called it a comedy because tragedy was considered high art, and high art was for the educated elite. Uh, he did not. Comedy was considered low art, which it, you know, kind of still is to some degree. Weekend at Bernie's is di- nobody's gonna get that reference, are they? <laughs> Weekend at Bernie's is different oh, than uh, you know, Black Swan. That's high culture cinema, right there. I think no one listening to this podcast who is a student will know what Weekend at Bernie's is. I'm afraid they'll know what the Bernie is. <laughs> they'll think not. we're talking about politics. They'll <laughs> yeah. be like, "Wow, I've never heard politics on this show at all," oh, and, and you still aren't, right? This is a so they know that there's this differentiation between comedy and tragedy, and they know that Dante was very critical of his church. In mm. fact, what, there's there's prominent church members burning in his hell that he has mm. come up with, including the Pope. Mm-hmm. So there's this notion, that I think, this, this idea that's very interesting to students, where we talk about people who have spiritual beliefs, be they Christianity or not, but it usually is Christianity, usually. We're in America, we're in the Southeast, you know, Christianity is the most prominent and most often practiced major religion. People have spiritual beliefs, but they're somehow, they're not into the church. They're mm-hmm. not into organized religion. They're not into, maybe they grew up in it, but they're just not into it. So I thought it'd be cool to bring you in here and just kind of talk about various things, like how relevant is the United Methodist Church right now? How could it be more relevant? Do we need, what do we need to know about? I do not regularly okay. attend church. I'm open-minded to everything, but I'm sort of a skeptic about organized religion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have spiritual beliefs. I'm not a, uh, you know... I've tried to be an atheist before and just couldn't couldn't get on board with it. Huh. Um, so what about that? Where did we start? Not church stuff, but just about... Uh, what about that path? Like somebody, you know, you believe, but you have doubts and uh, atheism doesn't work out for you, but you're still not sure where you're fitting in. So where does doubt? Tell me about doubt. How do we deal with that? Well, I think as a as a youth director and working with teenagers, um, one would think that I would be discouraged by doubt. Um, and I think probably early on in my career, I've been doing this for about 12 years now. Um, early on, I probably was threatened by doubt because, you know, questions come in and, and what if I can't answer? I'm going to wreck this kid's faith or something like that. And, you know, in, in my old age and doing this, I've realized the kids that have doubt 
uh, and the college students that have doubt in our program, when they ask serious questions, especially in a setting where other people are there, um, one, there's a refreshing authenticity to it when we can actually ask serious questions and, and, and deal with issues as they come up. But two, it means to me as a youth director that they're thinking about it. You know what I mean? If you, if you don't have doubts about something, if you don't ask questions about something, then I think you're just kind of taking whatever's given to you. And from my perspective and trying to teach people, if, if they're not questioning what I'm saying, then they're not really putting it to the test of their own experience. And so I don't think doubt is ever a bad thing. So you're, you're not offended when these people frankly, no. don't believe you. No, and I, I've had atheists within my youth group and agnostic kids within my youth group and i encourage that honestly because if they can ask the question and and deal with it and what if we really can help with asking you know or dealing with the question that's asked um that helps everybody and also like it is natural to i mean this is we're talking about metaphysical stuff you're talking about stuff that people might believe but there is no by definition there's no tangible proof there's nothing we can point to that says, okay, God does exist. Here's here's God. Come see God tonight at 5 p.m. Right. And all yeah, your yeah, doubts yeah. will be assuaged. Yeah, <laughs> I, to, I think to that degree, yeah, there is there is no like scientific right. evidence right. that right. absolutely speaks. But um, I would say people's experience, you know, um, and, and I could sit here and tell you all the experience that I've had, you know, and, and that would be one thing for me. But... For you to say, okay, well, I'm going to check that out. Then, if that's the case, then maybe I will experience something similar. Um, and sure. in that sense, yeah. I think it's not that there's no proof for God necessarily, but it is kind of on a subjective, personal level rather than just a you know, open your textbooks, everybody. Here's the objective proof of God. You know, I, I don't think there's anything like that necessarily. That, that's interesting. So, like, some people would say that subjectivity can never, you know, be proof. The idea of anecdotal evidence is not evidence. And, and I understand the subjective nature of this. Because right. just to be clear, I mean, I definitely have spiritual beliefs that have no tangible proof behind them. Right. Right. So that in itself is inherently a subjective experience of yeah. this. So my thing is I'm an extremely open-minded skeptic about everything. Like I really am open to everything I believe, everything from politics to music to spirituality. I'm open to the fact that I might be wrong. Yeah. And I've had and, people And I would say me, the same thing for me. Well, that's that's kind of refreshing. I've had people tell me, I've had religious people tell me if you don't believe what you believe spiritually as objective foundation for the rest of the world, then you don't have strong faith. And that's not what I think. I think that's my subjective experience of it. I believe what I believe, but I don't have any need to tell other people about it. I don't have any need to bring people into what I believe. There's no proselytizing, you know, with my approach to God. But I, I'm open to the fact, it's just my, we just have our five senses, yeah. right? I mean, how yeah. do we discern, we, we feel something, how do we know it's not coincidental emotional manipulation right. by a huge schema, be yeah. it a church or, or something else? So I'm open to the fact that what I believe might be wrong, and I found that's not a common kind of religious belief, but I think you just said you feel the same way. I, I really do. Um and, and maybe it's because I've kind of had to deal with, you know, with doubts myself. And, and I don't know that, I guess I've always kind of grown up with a sense of some, you know, 
idea of God just kind of deep within, you know, whatever my instincts are or whatnot. But I've had a lot of doubts with experiences with church and community like that, that, you know, I, I think I've come down to the conclusion this is either legit or it's not. And if it's legit, I should be experiencing some kind of outcome from it. And if not, why do it? You know, well, yeah, and, well, and I don't think yeah. everybody necessarily has that particular opinion. That, that may be rare to a certain degree, um, even within the realm that I am, because you start talking about Dante's Inferno. There's a good deal of fear surrounding religion of people that are within it. That yeah. if I don't believe, what if I wind up in this really simplified version of what people have taken away from Dante's Inferno, knowing that that's about something deeper people's idea of hell actually is probably more influenced by those pictures and those ideas than they are from what's actually in scripture. There's no doubt that cloven footed devil and the, uh, a lot of those things do come from typographs. They come from wood carvings and a lot of middle age mm-hmm. imagery. And that's entirely true. My understanding is that's very, our contemporary image of the devil and also our contemporary image of Jesus as, you know, the, the white right. fish fan oh, yeah. with the flowing fish white fan. hair, yeah, you know, yeah. this. That's an interesting idea is where do these things come from that are sacrosanct in culture? And a lot of people take these things as just objective. This is how it was. That's right. So that that is interesting. So I think, too, like it's interesting to be talking from this particular age and this particular paradigm because. You know, if we were talking having this conversation back in the '80s when you and I were growing up, I think generally culture had a very simple idea, and you know, you either believe or you don't. You're in or you're out. You know, it's it's that kind of idea because generally most people, you know, throughout history did kind of have some idea of God. I mean, I didn't get homework assignments on Wednesdays because most people assumed that I went to church. That's not the case Mm -hmm. anymore. Yeah. You know, um, that today I think people are generally more skeptical and I think it helps the conversation to be honest with you. Like it's a lot less of a cheap conversation to talk about religion this day and age when people are allowed to think, you know, and, and people are allowed to have doubts. In my opinion, that actually makes us better. That's interesting. Wasn't it the Bereans? Wasn't Berea the? There, there's some group of people in the Bible who were rewarded, so to speak, for having doubt, for being inquisitive, and I think it might have been the people at Berea. I'm not sure. That's uh, is that ring? I should know this. I, I'm actually yeah. more pr- familiar with the current. There are people that are kind yeah. of a, a denomination that call themselves the Bereans that I know it has some root, but I, I actually don't yeah, remember. Where it it may not be the Bereans, but there, there's some group that is that singled out and in, in a good way for having having doubt. And yeah, they, well, and the current Bereans are very intellectual, and uh, I mean they really do believe very much in in study. Um, well, maybe maybe that's it. Maybe yeah, that I, I think that does sound right. I, I just can't remember where that comes from. All right, so. Dante, this person who had these these Christian beliefs and famously, infamously in some people's minds, wrote this takedown, wrote this infamous takedown, this political takedown of the church at his time. And I'll say this. I've been to a lot of churches that have had a lot of very kind, a lot of different Protestant denominations I've been to. Church of God, Church of Christ, United Methodist, Southern Baptist, Free Will Baptist. Uh, and I've, I've got friends in all these Protestant denominations. I also have friends who are practicing pagans. 
I have friends who are druids. I have friends who are atheists. I've got friends who are anti-theists. If you remember Christopher Hitchens, like oh, this yeah, idea, yeah. They're, they're not just atheists. They're against the idea of God. They think the idea of God has harmed the world mm-hmm. more than anything, and they are against the very idea of it. I've got you know gay friends. I've got transgender friends. Mm-hmm. I've got students of every ilk mm-hmm. that come through UTC. So I've been to all sorts of churches, and the individual people in the individual churches are very kind and accepting. Mm-hmm. Often people will say, well, some church policy says this isn't allowed or that isn't allowed, but they don't seem to care about it, right? They are mm-hmm. very kind people, and they're just they're very accepting. But the thing that makes me kind of hesitant is when it comes to policy. Mm-hmm. So you have this individual enactment of this very often frankly seems like very christ-like acceptance Mm -hmm. but then why doesn't the church policy seems to be slow to change and i'm not necessarily talking about the united methodist church i know that's your thing and that's what you know so i'll try to keep it uh, confined to to that but for instance i have a lot of very close people who are gay Mm -hmm. and i know a lot of methodists and other ilk who are completely accepting of that. There's mm-hmm. no issues. But that policy is what it is. So yeah. that that's one of my problems why I can't fully kind of get on board. Let's just talk about what is church policy, not you personally, but what okay. is United Methodist Church's stance on homosexuality? Uh, as far as the book of discipline... Um, Oh, is that a real thing? Oh, yeah. The Book of Discipline. The Book of Discipline. The Book um, of Discipline. I you know, love these it. Are, these are policies that people have come together on and met on, that have prayed on, that have, you know, uh, voted on, that, you know, that's how things get into the Book of Discipline. And, um, and, and as it stands right now, someone who is professing uh, homosexual could not be married in the United Methodist Church, which there's a lot of argument and discussion about what that is, as well as being clergy in the United Methodist Church. So So officially, the UMC doesn't recognize gay marriage. Yeah, and and And, that's kind of the the argument that the United Methodist Church is dealing with now, and other denominations have had to deal with that. And so far, denominations split over this issue. That's my understanding. Like, there's a like a major split, right? Yeah. So yeah. this is a current happening right now. That's right. Divide. Yeah. Does it seem pretty evenly split? What's the um, in the United States? Probably pretty evenly split, but there are countries in other parts of the world that are much more conservative about that particular issue. That mm-hmm. as it stands right now, as far as how I can see what's going on, they're kind of holding us to. A conservative stance on on that particular issue. Um, so, is it just those two those two issues? Basically, it's not like gay people are prohibited from coming to church or anything well, like and that. That's exactly right, and you know, I think that's probably the first place that I struggle with that. That mm. there is a lot of, um, you know, obviously with marriage, that's that's kind of a making a statement about somebody's life and lifestyle and and what that means and that really kind of comes down to it but it isn't a you can be part of this community or you may not be part of this community based on this thing that that's not what's being argued about it at this point and you know i've gone back and forth on what and my you know what's my opinion on this and how do i do that and and i think my first stance is how am i going to deny 
God working in somebody's life that isn't like me, you know? Yeah. Um, so to be honest with you, I, I think I may have the same problem you have with it about this overarching policy without talking about individuals. Right. That it's really right. difficult for me to to come down on a hard stance. And, and I'll, I'll be, I don't fall hard in either one of those camps, to be honest with you. Okay. Uh, because I have questions, um, yeah. as anybody else would. But I know individuals who, you know, are gay or lesbian that, that I see God at work in their life just as much as anybody else. And I have had people within my own group, you know, that at church that, are that we're professing or that we're struggling with this issue one way or the other that um i've seen god doing some cool stuff in their life too and and i think that's where i'm at that number one this doesn't mean someone can or can't be a part of a methodist community and i I think it gets portrayed that way you know when the story gets simplified you know Mm, and i think that's what overarching policy tries to do is simplify the issue down to you know, black and white so that we can all understand, you know, what we should or shouldn't do within that. And I just don't know that you can do that very easily when you're talking about individuals, you know, and and there are a lot of different reasons why someone may or may not be this or that, you know, because of experience or, you know, whatever. Like I just am less comfortable talking about the policy than I am talking to the person, not about, but to, you know, and it, it all kind of depends on who we're talking to. Yeah, yeah, and that that seems kind of representative of, of kind of what I was referring to, people. I mean, what you just said, that's representative of the type of individuals I'll come into contact with who seem open-minded yeah. and accepting, and I'm sure they are. And then, But when it kind of seems to go against specific policy, um, I think the news, when the news outlets get a hold of you know stories, it seems to come right. from the policy side of that's things. That's right. And that's the focus. And it is a difficult thing, I think, for some people to say, uh, you know, officially my organization thinks something that I disagree with, So, but I'm still going to be a, a part of it. And so that's kind of been, been my thing, right? Yeah. This kind of skeptic approach to these these huge church organizations. But yeah, with this policy that a lot of people interpret as hateful, or at least um, maybe a little softer than that, at least a little bit kind of behind the times. Because mm. a lot of these things are social. There's a, There's a big... There seems to be way more acceptance with the average person out there of, for instance, adultery or, well, that's or right. divorce. You that's know, straight, exactly what I was going to say. Straight divorce is a big threat to yeah, marriage. Sexual <laughs> morality. Sex before marriage. Yeah. Like all group, that stuff. I mean, Absolutely. Teenagers are dealing with all this stuff that's happening. And that's where I start the conversation usually yeah. when someone wants to have that conversation that's a teenager that, that's struggling with homosexuality or, you know, or, or the identity, yeah. you know, what, what am I because I'm having these kind of feelings and all that kind of stuff. The first conversation actually is about morality, about sex, and what's healthy and what's not, and and that that conversation starts long before somebody identifies themselves as one yeah. thing or another. You know, do you think it's hard to be a teenager in twenty nineteen? Oh golly, man! I mean, I, I feel like things were much <laughs> more simple for me. What, what would I have done if, yeah. if I was fifteen right now? I just well, I you know. and I got into trouble. You know, probably we drove our junky cars too oh, fast. You know yeah, I mean? yeah, 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 or. I mean, I did stupid stuff and, and partied and all those kind of things. But, but what's going on with these kids these days is like it, I'm dealing with mental health more than I'm dealing with, you know, mm. sex, drugs, rock and roll kind of stuff these days, you know. And it's it has to do with their technology. It has to do with social oh, media, yeah. you know. Yeah. Oh, man, just the stuff that they're struggling with is 
I totally believe that. Mental health issues is right at the UTC. I'm sure a lot of the people who come through my classes are very similar, maybe a year or two older than people in your your youth group. And um, you're right. I mean, there's an epidemic of mental health yeah. things. And I, you know, is it that these things are more prominent now than 1993? Is it that they're more prominent? Or is it just that we have a culture that's more accepting and we can... We can talk about things more now, or is it really a bigger increase in mental health diagnoses? I, I don't know. I'm my just, sense, just you know, just over the 10, 10 and 12 years, you know, I was assistant for, for two years before I was a director, but my 12 years in doing youth ministry, my sense is that it, it is more cases of, of mental health issues that are coming up. And, and, you know, really what I've noticed, the shift being is isolation and, and yeah, this faux yeah. community and social mm-hmm. media when really that's causing a lot of angst and you know mm-hmm. did i get enough likes or you know what are these people's approval and, and then there's all kinds of stuff going on in the shadows that you know mm-hmm. of bully cyber bullying and those kind of things that you know i, I mm-hmm. think kids deal with maybe not more i mean it feels like it but but a much different situation than you and I grew up in. Yeah. Clearly, we had to juggle various things that were hard to deal with right. when you're 15. But, like, yeah, imagine all this stuff now. I mean, I know as yeah. an adult, I mean, the social media thing, the I'm okay with it. I'm fine. It, you know, not everybody, you're not going to please everyone. And yeah. it is what it is. I can, I'm from a, I guess it's a privileged point of view where I can just not do social media. Yeah. for a while like turn it off i really don't it's not I, a big deal i stopped a while back and and really i noticed this thing in me when i would post something that i would be watching to see how many people liked or you know it'd be the dumbest that's thing inherent. Yeah, yeah that's inherent everybody yeah i i just have this thing i'm just not convinced people would be interested in what i might want to post I mean, I, yeah I, I love doing this podcast because it's like this interesting guests come in i talk to right. you guys and it's like you guys drive it says so it's fine, but like, well, there's something just about person to person communication, you know, mm-hmm. rather than a like to say, you know, that's the smallest one bit form of communication to like somebody's post when I could ask them about it later and have a good conversation. You know, I think, I think that's why this is good. You know, you, you sound old right now. I think I am. I'm really just increasing, <laughs> increasingly no, realizing you, that I'm just kind you, of an old fuddy dud. You actually don't sound old. You sound very youthful. Is that it? I mean, can you be a youth pastor forever? Does age play a role? I mean, that's where we're going to go in a minute. That's where we're going to go in a minute. But first, I don't want to leave this behind because I was just, we were talking about adultery, sex before marriage, all these things that, let's just say, if you go back a generation, were much more, much more of a focus than, say, gay issues Mm -hmm. or transgender issues. But now we have our zeitgeist in 2019. Yeah where there's a much bigger focus on gay marriage as being a threat to marriage than, for instance, straight divorce being a threat to marriage. So I see these things as cultural zeitgeist incidents. This is just what we're focusing on. So a lot of people who go to churches focus on certain things, and a lot of people like myself who did not grow up in a church focus on other things. So I'm interested, Dante was too, this notion of the relative weight of sins. Mm-hmm. Dante has the conical descent, right? And the more serious your sin was, the deeper in hell you were placed. Mm-hmm. I really don't know the answer to this. This isn't, this isn't a rhetorical question because mm-hmm. I really don't know. 
Is there a greater theological weight assigned to, for instance, being gay than any other sin? I will tell you, biblically and theologically, absolutely not. Um, There isn't a weight to this one or the other one, which culturally you wouldn't think so because of the way that that this really is. I I think you put it well to say that this is kind of the hot topic for right now. Um, No, it's not. Like sin... One is an a super religious word that has its own sure meaning and own sure connotation. Is. You know, it's almost abstract. I think. Yeah, I mean, like it's it, almost a non. It's lost word. its own definition through hundreds and hundreds, of, well, two thousand years worth, and more so than that, even going back in the Old Testament, that it, it's lost its meaning in the religious connotation where we've lost what we mean by that, and and so I've had to kind of come to terms with that word, especially talking to somebody that doesn't. I mean, there's inside language. If I play, you know, baseball, say I'm a baseball manager and I'm talking to the team, there's certain things like a infield fly rule and things like that that we could talk about that outside, if somebody doesn't isn't aware of, you know, all the technical terms of baseball, I'm speaking another language. And sin really kind of falls in that category. My thought on that is uh, sin is one sort of a, a condition um, and that's why Paul really talks about sin. And, and there are these things that are evidences of this condition that we have of, you know, and this is the other way that I would put it, like of self-destruct. Mm-hmm. Like sin is really more destructive behavior towards ourselves or towards others that is not the intention that God created humanity for. It's not. It, it's more of that than a list of things that you should and shouldn't do because mm-hmm. people are trying to keep control over, you know, society or over the world or over your morality. You know, morality mm-hmm. is another one too. Like, what's moral? Mm-hmm. Ultimately, is what is the good for you and for me and for us and for the world? Really comes down to that's what morality is. These are complex things that get boiled down to a list this is something else buzzfeed has ruined with a listicle oh gosh and and yeah and this is the day that we come down to memes and you know i mean everything has a a a very short pithy snarky you know comment about it and and we've reduced things down to to simple terms that's right like my thing is like i have friends i have atheist friends who say why do you you know why do you even because i like to read about a lot of things including i like to read some theology now and then. I mm. like to read the old theosophists from back in the day. I like to read. I like. To, I like this topic. I think it's interesting. And mm. I have atheist friends who say, "Why do you even worry about this? You know, you're not reading about the origins of Santa Claus in great detail. You're not reading. You know what I mean? That to yeah, them, yeah, it's yeah, a complete yeah. non-issue. So some people in that camp are like, James, why do you even waste your, you know, very limited mental facilities on this topic? And my thing is, even if I didn't believe in anything, even if I was a straight-up atheist. It's still a significant factor on the Western world. Yeah. It is... Uh, do you know any percent... Like, what percentage of Americans say they believe in some form of Christianity? I would guess... Does it have to be 80%? Uh, 75%? Shoot, I read that recently, and I, I can't remember the exact numbers. It's it's decreasing, but not... It's it, church involvement is what's really dramatically decreasing. It's not necessarily belief in God or some kind of spiritual belief. You know, I, I think that's still extremely prominent in yeah. in our society in the Western yeah. world that 
you know, yeah, most people generally believe in some kind of spirituality or spiritual connection and, you know. And I bet in this country, most people's version of that is some flavor of Christianity. Yeah. yeah. So that's my thing. Even if I didn't believe in it at all, I see it as a significant topic to explore for its sociocultural influences. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, my, my understanding is the only, organi- the only institution to survive the fall of the Roman Empire was the Christian church. Mm. For instance, right? So, I mean, mm. that alone, yeah. you know, to me, uh, the way our major holidays, you know, they were, they were worked from pagan things into Christian things. Yeah. Easter and Christmas being two probably... Right prominent examples of that so my thing is why i like to talk to people like you who know a lot more about this than i do and i, I kind of see you like you're you're all in to me as an outsider it looks like you're all in this is here this is what you're doing as your vocation this is your yeah. avocation yeah. this is this is what you're doing you know you're a smart guy you could go do all kinds of stuff but here you are you're doing this so i like to talk to people who know more about this notion especially the organized facets of religion because even if i don't believe in any of it it is a significant mindset of the mental landscape of a lot of students who come to my Mm -hmm. classes i'm getting older (laughs) they are very young the gulf is becoming increasingly wider you know to teach someone something they have to slow down and listen to you and you have to connect with them. And I'm getting older. They're they're not. And it's like, this is still a big part of a lot of students, you know, mental landscape. So yeah. I feel the need, uh, I feel the responsibility to to learn about this. So you said church attendance is declining. Yeah. Do you think the church in 2019 overall, from your point of view, is remaining relevant to our society? complicated question and a good question um yeah i didn't even plan that before that just, that just yeah I, and i like that and and i i really think my answer to that question is yes and no um and, and you may be surprised by the no because uh well one what what we keep referencing with, with dante is is challenging the institution um yeah. and and that is essentially the entire history of the Christian church that that the institution you know at some point becomes this thing that is rigid and hardened and and may have made a lot of sense for the time that it was um, you know really you know burgeoning and growing and, and all that but as time continues to shift those same questions don't really or the same same answers don't really apply to the new questions that come up and so church has kind of broken down and reformed and 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 redefined itself and in this day and age that we're whatever this is that that we're moving into it's certainly not the modern age that we came from where god was assumed as well as Mm -hmm. human progression was was actually a, 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 a something that we thought was possible on the other side of world disasters like you know World War II, the Holocaust, at the mm-hmm. height of of modernism, the world doesn't look the same. And and mm-hmm. so we've gone through a period of trying to figure those things out in the last gasps of m- the modern idea of Christianity. But then you've got nine eleven, you've got um, you know the internet and technology and and you know, the amount of information that we have in our phones. And we definitely live in a different age than we did before. And so is the church still relevant? In a lot of ways, 
No, and, and some things need to die off. Some mm. old ways of doing things, the, the old ways of doing bureaucratic, bureaucratic institutions, I think, are, are outdated. You know, and then we are asking serious questions about spirituality and what this means. And to be in an age where we can be comfortable asking and challenging and, and dealing with doubts, the old paradigm doesn't really work for that. But on the other end, and, and this is where I would say yes, I have a larger concept of the church than my local expression of what that is, uh, than, a, than what a, a Methodist is, um, that I believe the church really is just people and, and the institution's just trying to organize it a little bit, but there's the institutional church. And then there's the church where I have really awesome conversations with people about our experience and and I grow from their experience and hearing their experience and um, that we're just trying to do this together. And, and there's something very human about church that's not institutionalized that will always survive, that will always be, and it'll organize itself into whatever the new thing it needs to later. Um, but I, I have a lot of hope, I think, and and you know, in my local church, those are people that I love, that I've done life with now since 1998, you know, um, that took me in at a time when I was really hurt by church, by the way. Those are people. And then there's the logo and the institution and the bureaucracy and all the policy making and all those kinds of things that how much of that is the church, you so, know. So that seems almost, those are two separate Thanks oh yeah to you yeah and that's why i'm comfortable being inside the system you know and and also challenging it you know that's why i respect dante that's why i respect the reformers that's why i respect john wesley because all of these great heroes of the faith were actually people that challenged the institution for the age that they were entering into is it true that john wesley said at one time if he dies with more than a hundred bucks in his bank account. He can consider everything he said a failure or something like that. Is that is that true or is that kind of urban legend about? I him? don't. I don't. Have you heard that? No, I haven't. I, I don't know that I've heard that direct quote, but and that's a loose paraphrase, by the way. That's just, that's the way he lived. I mean, when he made money, he always stayed on the same, you know, cost of living sort of. So like, if if, mm -hmm. if I made thirty thousand dollars and I gave $2,000 away and say I got a raise to $40,000, I'd live like I'm making $30,000 and give well, 12000 away. Then you, know? you might be able to retire one day if you do that. <laughs> I mean, like, but you I, might, I that, that's, that's smart. To, to what smart. he was doing, though, it was he only lived on so much so that he could give right. as right. much as he possibly could away. And and I think that's that's really a, a New Testament stance on money. You know? And wasn't the term Methodist applied in a denigrating way? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What was that about? Like, how did why did Wesley and the Wesleyans become known as Methodists? He at certain different times of his life had this methodical way of doing spirituality, and and this is where I think this is actually the stuff I think is relevant to today. To be honest with you, um, at certain points uh, he would gather with other people that were Christian to. Um, really challenge each other and and share stories and 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 have a shared experience that was a little more intense than just regular church, and so they had sort of this club and and it was called by the other people and, and religious folks and educated folks around them. You know, it started at Oxford. Um, they would call them, you know, Bible moths, which 
Mm. Like maybe that was terrible back then. I think it's kind of funny now, but um, or you know yeah. the Holy Club or um, you know Holy, the, Holy Rollers. Yeah, and yeah. and and then I think it was actually one of his professors that said something about oh these people around here in this university think they have this method that are Methodists about their spirituality, yeah. and somewhere that stuck. stuck. And, and there is a method, you know. Um, yeah. That, that they had so yeah I, I find that interesting uh john d mcdonald the pulp writer of he's got a part where travis mcgee says he he's been resistant to organize religion because to him it seems like marching in a formation down to the beach to look at a sunset you know kind of subverting that idea of you don't need this method right you don't need this specific set of steps to follow to experience god but i like the idea how this this methodist thing was kind of a was it an insult or at least it was a, a I don't know was it insulting to him like do we know how did John I Wesley don't think he was insulted by Methodist because I think he would say well yeah good you point know? but but to some of the other stuff the Holy Club or I'm sure it was tough you know and and this was talking about these reformer type folks he's doing this um, and going beyond um, what the expectation was of the Church of England. Yeah. And so he was kind of this reforming character too that he didn't feel like it was it was doing enough for people's spirituality and and so like is the method is this particular method um, important to spirituality versus like going and enjoying a sunset? You know, I've been on the beach a lot, you know, um, and I've had times alone on the beach where I could sit and contemplate, but then I've had communal experiences with other people at the beach. And I would say both of those give deep meaning, but when it's a shared experience, it, it brings validity to my individual experience. Um, and I think that's why a community, like a, a method, you know, where people come together and, and share notes and, and have a common experience, it, it sheds a whole lot more light and, and maybe amplifies what I suspected might be true. So that's interesting. And, and feel free to answer completely honestly. Sure. I, I don't get offended, period. So I'm pretty, by nature, isolated in like my spiritual beliefs. I don't mm-hmm. really talk about them. I don't mm-hmm. really feel the need to, right? I mean, I, I don't feel the need for any kind of social sociality to that but do you think i'd be better off my experience of those things were more social because it sounds like to you that's a big part of it it is um and again feel free to let me know do you think i'd be better off possibly if uh if i were more social with my spirituality well obviously because i'm that's my angle that's that's what you do that's what i do and and i've kind of staked my career on that for one so for my experience absolutely and but the other thing like you know objectively I'm enjoying the heck out of this conversation. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And for you and I to sit um, across from each other and have a conversation about something that we may or may not agree on, we're kind of yeah. coming together on something that, well, you yeah. know, there have been yeah. several points where I'm like, absolutely, man, like, you know, challenging the institution and those kind of things. We agree on that, that to talk spirituality with someone uh, and to trade notes, I think, is beneficial one-on-one which that's probably one of my favorite things to do but when we come together in an even larger community like it it not only amplifies our experience um but it also amplifies our ability to do good i mean methodists 
I, I hate to keep like harping on Methodists to the exclusion of any other denomination, but that's, I mean, obviously that's the angle that I come from. But well, that's your thing, yeah. But when I they, talk about rock and roll bands, I talk about Fish right. nonstop. People yeah. get sick of it. People are there are other bands <laughs> besides Fish. You know there are other churches besides you know Methodist yeah, Church, yeah, yeah. but that's your thing. So that's yeah. So but like Methodists when they come together, like the common good is really what's important. And so they've done things like pooling their money to create things. So like the Salvation Army that exists. That used to be Methodist. Oh, that's the Methodist. Yeah. Okay. Uh, actually, UTC um, was yeah. money put together yeah. by the Methodists. There's a plaque, I think, in Patton Chapel that says something about the Methodists that donated money yep. to, to do that. Right. That you know, hospitals and universities and you know, social organizations that help people happen because people came together and decided we need to do something in that way. And and so it, it amplifies our experience, but it also amplifies our ability to to do good. I think. I'll I'll tell you this. Um, and yeah, by the way, too, for the listeners, I agree. This is a very natural conversation. It's kind of weird because, you know, it's late at night. We're in the, this podcast studio. There's candles all around the studio. It's very. <laughs> this is a very. This is how I am weird. I can't help it. Um, but it's kind of there's this kind of this is being recorded, obviously. So there's all these like things in our faces, these weird microphones and stuff. But I agree. This is definitely a a pretty real thing. So here's a real story to me. Uh, there was an older lady whom I cared for very much who was disabled, and I wasn't able to take care of her as much as I should have. I'd go by there and try to help her out, you know, but mm. I was busy and just didn't mm. happen. But she had, like, all these bushes that were grown up, right? And she had this, uh, her yard just, you know, she was disabled. She couldn't do anything about it. Mm. So these people from Stuart Heights Baptist Church here in town, which I've never been to that church, mm. right? I just, I don't know anything about them. Mm. So... I hope they're well regarded. I think they are. I think mm-hmm. it's a pretty well regarded. Yeah. Uh, anyway, these this people came over. One of their members lives in this lady's neighborhood, and they just came over and like fixed her yard. They just like cleaned up everything. They cut down the bushes. They hauled. It had to be hours and hours of work. They just did that, and um, they didn't tell her about it. They didn't tell her, you know, son or daughter about it. They just. They just did it because it needed to be done. I talked to the lady that I knew, and she said, well, you know, she can't do it for herself. She just, We just wanted to do that because she needed it. They didn't invite anyone to church. They didn't you know, blow their own horn. Mm-hmm. It was just like uh, the opposite of a thief in the night. It mm-hmm. was just this truly compassionate act. And to this day, that affects me at, at a deep level. To me, that's kind of what it's about. If the church, yeah. if not that I'm a member, not that I know much about it, but if a church is going to do anything... It should be helping out folks who need help. That's right. So that was a that was a big thing. You know, I've never been to that church before. I don't know. You probably know people over there, don't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know a few. You guys who are church professionals, you pretty much know most of the other churches in town, or not necessarily. Yeah, like there's there's a couple of networks. Um, I, I'm not great at them, but like we have gotten together and and done some things even interdenominationally just to do something for the neighborhood. I actually with Stuart Heights, I was I was part of a kickball league with them a while back where we just okay. all brought our youth groups and it was something that you can invite anybody into. And it's just a good community involved thing that we did and then there was another Baptist church we did uh, we worked with the community center and provided mm-hmm. a free meal for kids to come in um, to to one see what happens at the community center to be a part of something that brings people together in the community and to see churches working together. And we did a black light dodgeball thing, you know, um, oh, okay. within that was that was 
it was huge. You know, you guys so. are always trying to put some kind of cool spin on stuff. You I can't just do ministry. dodgeball. Yeah, no, you got to do ministry. blacklight. You got to do blacklight <laughs> right. dodgeball. So interdenominational stuff. I think mm. with people who don't go to church, yeah, myself included, there's this this false, almost humorous idea that you guys hate each other. Do you remember Needful Things by Stephen King where like the Catholic guy hated the Protestant guy and, they all, hate, and all these churches? But so the interdenominational sort of interplay, the young people, like the youth, uh, do they care about denominations? No, kids don't um, and, and don't really even, they're not very aware of the differences other than this church worships this way or does these sorts of things or emphasizes this, you know. Um, I've got kids that, actually come from other churches to our youth group on, you know, Sunday nights or Wednesday nights or vice versa that go to other groups, you know, periodically with their friends and things. So it's, it's really not the younger generation. Um, and it's not really even my generation necessarily because we all really like to work together. And, and I've worked with other, other denominations in our area, multiple denominations. Um, it does kind of seem to be a little bit of a generational thing, you know, where I, not in my particular context, but I have heard of other youth directors that it was frowned upon for them to work with other churches of other denominations, um, you know, from their supervisors or for their, from their boards or counselors, you know, councils or whatever that was, but it really didn't seem to come from younger folks necessarily, but I don't really know any older folks that care that much about denominationalism either. So they're mm. out there. I, I don't know who they are, but mm. you know, that seems to be coming up. It's, we seem to be coming back. And this is my words, not Kevin's. It seems to be coming back to this idea of a lot of these church individuals uh, are doing their things in social small groups mm-hmm. and the communities are based around that. And you haven't said you don't care what the broader policy is. I know you haven't said that, but it just seems to me like there's a lot of uh, there's more focus on individuals doing things together and whatever the overarching policy is. That's kind of what I what I kind of see about that. But what about this? What about if me? What if me and you and everyone's wrong? What if there is no God? What if we we have an inert universe? What if this is Everything that people believe are just hopeful fabrications of children who are mm-hmm. afraid that we're going to die and never exist mm-hmm. again. So what if we're all wrong? What if there is no God? You know, for somebody that's based their career off of this, um, that's probably one of the biggest doubts that I've had. Like, what if? What if I'm wrong? What if I've based my entire life off of something that, you know, was some kind of, maybe I've got a psychological thing going on in my head that makes me feel these things or something like that. Uh, I've asked that question before and, and you know, I, I guess where I've landed is it's a pretty darn good story hmm. to live in, you know, and, and it gives me a whole lot of meaning and purpose. And, and if the outcome were something that was destructive, if what I were doing really were causing hurt and pain and people. And I realize that religion can do that uh, and that churches can't do that. I've, I've, like I said, I've come from that experience before. But one, the story's too good um, that I, I choose to live by that story. And, and so far it's checked out for me. Um, okay. and, and on the other end, if I you know, come to the end of it and I was wrong, it's certainly made for a good life. And, and I don't base my faith on something that 
that I know nothing about. Like if this were based on the afterlife, if I were just afraid of death and this were only about going to heaven or hell, that's something I can't even put my finger on, nor do I know anybody that's ever experienced heaven or hell that I've just been able to have a conversation with. You know what I mean? If that's all this were about and not the life that I'm, I'm living, then I'm out. You know, that, that's not yeah. something I'm really all that interested in. And, and that may be a difference in the age that we live in because people really have been concerned about that. And people do have concerns about that. I, I, don't, I don't overlook that necessarily. But for me personally, not really where I'm most concerned. And, and so far, it's just been good to be a part of it. So, sure, it does seem like your approach is life-centric rather than afterlife-centric yeah. for a long time. And I don't deny that. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, I do believe that, you know, but that's just not an emphasis that I put on it. For a long time, the idea was you live a good life, you do good things, and then you'll have a good afterlife, mm-hmm. right? This notion that some people will believe in God just in case. Yeah. You've probably heard that. Yeah. And that's interesting. So even, even if this is made up, even if H.P. Lovecraft is right, even if Christopher Hitchens was right, if all these people were right, and this is just um, an em- empty idolatries that we cast upon an inert cosmos... Mm-hmm. Even if that's the case, you're saying there are tangible, everyday benefits that just, in your opinion, make the world a better place. Yeah. That have nothing to do with the fact that we, because regardless if there is a God or not, we are alive. As far, yeah. as, we, as, far as we know, this is real. And but we're here, and it sounds to me, you're you're not proselytizing, it sounds to me like you're representing a position that, that focuses on doing things with real people during our real life for the limited time we have. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, interesting. the Bible says, you know, uh, Jesus says, I, I've come to that you may have life and have it to the full. And, and I just don't think that that's only afterlife. And this doesn't really matter other than you should believe in these particular things. I, I believe in a full life now. You know, I think that's really what it, it's it's really about to me is something here and now because that's what I can yeah. experience. That's what we have. That's right. Just briefly, the afterlife is interesting. I have to admit, you may not feel comfortable admitting mm-hmm. this, but I have to admit, the popular, boiled down, easy notion of heaven mm-hmm. being this: okay, God loves us no matter what we do. We're forgiven no matter what we do. We just have to say, you know, say a prayer. Some some Protestant mm-hmm. denominations have that. You, <laughs> yeah. There's different terms, but you say a prayer, you're covered. And then when you die, Jesus, you know, vouches for you and you go to this beautiful place. You go across the, you know, the rainbow bridge or whatever, and you're (laughs) reunited with everyone you've ever loved. And everyone is there and the weather is beautiful. And all you do is love God every day and no one ever cries and everything's perfect and everything. You have to admit, if a child was going to invent heaven, Mm-hmm. that's what he or she would come mm-hmm. up with. That sounds on some level a very simple, childish thing to believe mm-hmm. in. No matter what we do, everything's going to be perfect and amen. Yeah. So and regard, maybe, or maybe we do or don't believe in that. And I'm just saying the afterlife approach to this seems to be inherently problematic. If you boil into it too much, Definitely. if you drill yeah. down on it oh, man, too yeah. much, uh, it may just be the skeptic in me, but if you, if you, and I don't know how much of that is biblical, by the way. I'm just saying that all those cultural I mean, beliefs. Like, yeah, it comes from there, but yeah, okay. I don't if if know no if one can shed a tear, what if I go to heaven? And what if, uh, say, my father died and went to hell? 
would I go to heaven? Would I notice his absence? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so if yeah. someone said, oh, sorry, he went to hell. And I would still have no no tears, right? Yeah. So there's all sorts of like if you try to apply human reason to those types That's of right. things, it doesn't seem to to make a lot of sense. And, and this gets this gets complex. the The imagery there is, I mean, you have to admit that's beautiful imagery, you know, to, to think about. Uh, I, I hope it's true. Uh, yeah, me too, man. I mean, That'd be absolutely. Awesome. But but what actually is being said in all those multiple places where that comes from in the Bible, and an image is being um, portrayed, and those images are speaking to something. Um, and so, do I believe you know tears are illegal in heaven? No, not necessarily, but I think that's speaking to something. You know what I mean? Like, no one will ever cry. So that is well, I've had tears right? of joy. Yeah, and that's that's no Revelation. Tears, okay. Yeah, Revelation uh, twenty one or twenty two. Is it possible that the Revelation writer was on hallucinogenics? I've read that theory, and there's dragons coming out oh, of the earth yeah, yeah, with yeah, multiple yeah, yeah. heads. You know, yeah. there's a, but anyway, I didn't mean to interrupt. something. But like, you know, what what also is going on in Revelation is more than just like. You know, his eyes roll in the back of the head and him just having all these crazy visions and all that kind of stuff. Those visions actually, you know, almost 90% of those visions are nods to Old Testament prophets. That, that, yeah. that stuff didn't just come out of nowhere. And it's speaking something much deeper than just what happens after this. And, and really, when you look at Revelation, only 21 and 22 are about the future. That, that you know, the writer of Revelation really is talking about He's talking to someone in the time that is being written and trying to encourage them in a time of persecution. You know, I mean, Christians were being destroyed and martyred and, and you know, fed the lions and thrown into Roman games and, and, yeah. and killed in all kinds of different ways that they knew that that was coming. Um, and so this was him encouraging them. And so to give the end of the story in 21 and 22 gives them and us something to hope forward to the way angels are described in revelation to this day freaks me out on a deep level i mean contrast the the angels with the eyes all over the body and looking like the animals you know these really beastly angelic warfare creatures contrasted with the popular culture beautiful little you know white woman in a wonderful dress with a halo the porcelain figures that yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in Revelation just as literature. You know, just it's an interesting. Yeah, I've well, been reading it's Tom its Robbins' own style of of literature. I mean, it, it's its yeah. own genre within the Bible that isn't something that you just read and oh well, this is the way that it's going to be, and, and which is the way a lot of people do that. But this is an apocalyptic, which means like yeah. that word means unveiling or the curtain going up, so you actually see into. And here's you know to our our topic into the heavenly realm that there is another realm or like a control room where all this stuff is actually happening that heaven and even in revelation is not about this cloud place where you go to die it is the throne room of god and you see what's happening kind of like in the wizard of oz you see what's happening behind the curtain and that's what's being described there and he's giving that to you know the writer of revelations giving that to the church or the the seven churches that he's writing it to and you gotta admit that's some heady stuff. Oh I mean, man, that, yeah. it's hard to take that stuff literally for me. I don't think yeah. I ever will. I mean, it's. It, I don't. I don't think I take that stuff literally. It, it's imagery that gives us a picture that says something 
And, you know, mm-hmm. chapter 21, 22, that, that gives me a hope for something that, specific, too. You that's know. a cool topic. Noah's Ark. Yeah. My opinion. Can't be literal. Adam and Eve. Everyone coming from the same two biological parents, right? Just, yeah. Uh, can't be literal. How do, how do people know when to take something as figurative or metaphorical versus taking something literally because i mean i've, I've known yeah. people who are literalists and they believe from word one to word end everything right. is literally true in the bible even all of the contradictions yeah but how do you come down on that not it sounds like you take things at least some things as uh, symbolic from what you just said about revelation but how, how do you uh that seems to be tricky is that just up yeah. to us to figure it out uh well and i think that that is why being connected to a church yeah, community, okay. you know, is important. Because if I just read that stuff, that's a bunch of crackery, man. I mean, but then I'm always like, well, okay, so then I go to a community, and then I'm always like, well, how does this guy like which you know, community? Like, how do yeah, you yeah. know, or how do you know what that's about? Because so, that is something that's, that's handed down through generations, and and we have, you know, struggled with that together. And people spilled so much ink over those issues. Uh, and there are different traditions and, and ways that people take a look at that personally and, and through, you know, the Methodist tradition that I've come up in. Um, I, you know, I don't need to just work the thing to death to get some kind of literal understanding because, one, it, it doesn't jive with the way that I see the world. Like, let's talk science for a second. Like, Science says one thing, and it seems like, you know, Genesis is saying another. And so is that what the point of Genesis really is, is to tell us exactly how it happened, like a science, you know, textbook? Well, obviously not. And and that's its own kind of genre there in itself. And, and when you look even deeper, uh, they pulled from other sources, you know, ancient Near Eastern texts that have similar themes going on. What was different? for you know the people of Israel or for the these descendants of Abraham that are writing this stuff is God initiated a relationship with people instead of people trying to do something to appease you know this this God or whatever um, and brought order to creation the other thing that was interesting for them that was being said that no one else has said is it's good any other, you know, ancient religion would say that, well, what's spiritual is good and what's material is bad. And, and there's something inherently good about creation. And there's something inherently good about being, very good about being human. Um, and so there is a deeper meaning yeah. to Genesis that, you know, than just like reading how it happened. So you the know? point might be he created this and it was good. He yeah. created that oh, and man, it was good. Yeah. So the it was good might be the point. Other than back in Galileo's time, for instance, when he was put on house arrest and virtually uh, crushed by the church because he because of telescopes and yeah. because the notion of you know the geocentric universe was replaced by the heliocentric version. Yeah, and there's still geocentric believers today, as I'm sure you're aware. Flat Earth theory is oh, gaining yeah. traction. Yeah. So you're saying that's interesting. So maybe the point as you're saying, is that it, it was good. This is good yeah. instead of, you know. Which was revolutionary when that was being said, you know. And, mm. and now we've said it so many times that, you know, just like words like sin, it, it's lost its meaning a little bit. But for me to look out the window and see good in a world full of chaos, and that's where the flood comes in. Things just turned into chaos that something had to be done. And, and you know, sure, there was 
archaeological evidence says that there was some sort of flood. It wasn't necessarily yeah. the entire world. It was but big, though. It's in Gilgamesh. Yeah. It's in other ancient texts. These are people well. trying to bring meaning to what's going on. And what does it mean that God created good, but then it's being destroyed? How do we bring you know bring some sense into that story as we're writing our well, history and understanding? You know, that? you're you're uh, not that anybody's still listening at the one hour and two minute <laughs> mark, but you're, you're bringing up the Odyssey, I think. Yeah, so we have yeah, this idea yeah. of like God either allowing or doing horrible things because so we. I don't know. Could we be in a second antediluvian phase right now with the way that the there are plenty of woes in 2019. Yeah. There's plenty of horrendous things That's happening. Right. You can find no shortage of examples of troubling things happening right now as people are getting just mown down by various things. Right. Um, so what about when the young person or the old person comes to you and says, uh, Kevin, this horrible thing, I was just you know assaulted last week, or this horrible thing happened to me. And I'm sure you they talk yeah. to you about things. Yeah. How can God allow this to happen? Yeah. How can God allow my friend's son to die? Yeah. So that's theodicy, right? T-H-E-O-D-I-C-Y is my understanding, the problem of pain. So how do we reconcile stuff like people's children being taken from them if God is supposedly in control? Yeah. And I know that's not like, oh, answer it now, Kevin Gray. I know that's a centuries-old issue that's that right. people have had trouble with the reconciling an all-loving God who loves us like children versus the God that stands aside while we die of AIDS. Which is, it's problematic. Um, and, you know, I, I've heard stories of, um, you know, people losing family members and, and even children and someone coming up to them and saying, oh, well, God needed another angel in heaven or something like that. Are you kidding me? Like, is that really what the answer to this, you know, this question is? The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Oh, golly, man. Don't say that to people. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so, like, on one sense, to answer your question poses a bigger problem because by the way, I put myself the, the way, into the seat of, of knowing. By the way, theologists have been attempting to reconcile those two, that, that issue for like a thousand plus yeah. years. So go ahead and fix it for us. Oh, absolutely. How absolutely. do we do it? Uh, so <laughs> if like, God loves us, why does he let us suffer? There are problematic things even in the Bible that, that struggle with that. You know, let's look at Job. Mm-hmm. Job, you know, there's this like gamble between God and and you know the Satan, the whatever devil, that right? concept yeah. was back yeah. then. And, and and again, like you got to wade through what that means because we're we're thinking Dante's Inferno and all that kind of stuff. But like, mm-hmm. what is this wager that happens? You know, whether you know Job is going to honor God just because God is God, or because he gets some kind of benefit out of it? Yeah. Well, at the end of the story, you find out he's going to continue with God, whether he gets the answer to his question or not. And the troubling thing is, in Job, he never gets that answer. It's really frustrating. That's some people's favorite book. It is not my favorite book in mm-hmm. the Bible because no. it's it's very difficult to deal with. The Bible doesn't even pretend to give us an answer, but it mm-hmm. does struggle with that issue, and we struggle with that issue. And again, back to you know, maybe the original conversation is we do that together. Um, and, and the Bible does that in community, and, and we work those things out. But to answer those questions puts us in a seat that we don't belong. 
Um, Here's my problem with the whole Job story. <laughs> people, people will say, well, some, unlike what you just said, people will sometimes say, well, he persevered and God gave him everything back. No, like there's this idea that okay, his his wife right was yeah. was killed, his children were taken from him, his children for sure. But then God gave him another wife. And he had more kids. And some people would kind of point to and that. And like multiplied the size of his farm and all that kind of stuff. And everybody stops and says, oh, this is right. a happy ending. Let's See, put like it worked it. out for him. I'm like, his wife is dead. Yeah, you know, that his- is not what yeah. the Hebrew scriptures yeah. are doing there. They're, they are struggling with theodicy. Yeah, exactly. I found that to be, I always found that to be kind of a simplistic answer yeah. to, uh, you know, well, he got everything back. You know, it's like if someone takes your wife from you, but then gives you a new wife. That- yeah. I don't know, and that could be something cultural going on at the time. I understand that, but and and I think you know. Do you see Job the Job story as it's, it's it's just as you said, it's not finished. There's no reconciliation, well, and I like that. Yeah, and I, at least that's how I took it. I, I think it the fact that we struggle for this and for something that we don't have it goes back to when we were talking about a revelation. You know, in the end, whatever heaven is, you know, whatever you put put that into, and that gives me hope. That you know, if I don't get that answer now, maybe I will have that answer one day. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. All right, so Kevin Gray, Hickson United Methodist Church, director of student ministries. This has been. We could keep going clearly, and we probably will keep going down at Sourdough, Sourdough Cup, Cup of Joe. Joe. That's right. That's right. Listen, go see Stephen at Sourdough Cup of Joe. It's delicious. All right, so here's what I would like students, hopefully, to take away from this. And really, anyone who's listening. Basically, Kevin and I agree on some things, and we disagree on a lot of things. I think we have different backgrounds. We come from different places. We disagree on some stuff. But we've sat here, and we've spoken for over an hour. And by the way, we've spoken before. So, Kevin, so we disagree on some of this stuff. Does that make you mad? Does that... I, you know, honestly, I'm I'm running through my head and trying to think what we disagree on. Like, you come from a different perspective, but yeah, it sounds yeah. to me like, I mean, I haven't heard anything you've said that I've disagreed with, even about the institutional stuff, you know. That, well, that's true, yeah. But, I, you know. Well, for instance, weird, for instance, I'll uh, give you one. Like, yeah, I, yeah. I do not think piano is a valid instrument Ouch. for a man to play. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I just went back to middle school, yeah. man. For instance... I don't know if I like the whole tax-exempt thing for churches. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah also, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to tithe. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. If I go to a church, I mean, I, I give money to some organizations, to some people who are in need, but like, I'm not going to pay a church's cable bill, for instance. Yeah. I'm just not going to tithe, and I feel like we disagree on that. Maybe. So, maybe. <laughs> I mean, I don't know, man, because like... It, well, it, that's a biblical commandment, right? No, to... it's not, actually. Oh, um, that's interesting. Tithing actually comes from the Old Testament. Okay. Um, and it was this weird encounter with this uh, some kind of strange, mysterious priest, uh, Melchizedek, where he was given 10% of all of Abraham's uh, you know, possessions to, mm. to pay honor to the one true God. And so that happened there. And so there was this tradition that came. That's such a loaded thing, man. right? That's so I much mean, like, behind what you just said. Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, like, my and God. It was a mysterious. It's just weird even yeah. in the Bible. But like they do this. And then there's a tradition out of that uh, yeah. for the people to pay 10% to the temple, yeah. you know, in Israel. That's not in the New Testament. What's in the New Testament is when we were talking about John Wesley and yeah. giving, 
you know, as much as you possibly can. And no one even said that to the church necessarily. And, and the example in the New Testament about that is everybody pooled their resources for the community so that no one was hungry. Didn't say anything about 10%. So do you believe in tithe? Do I believe? In, I don't know if I believe in tithe, but, yeah. but I might believe in something more stringent than tithe. If that's the case, because it's up to me to do as much good as I possibly can with what I have. So maybe the idea of stopping at 10% is... is if is you want to talk about New Testament, I think that's really what the challenge yeah. is, you know, which yeah. do I meet that? No. I mean, I think 10% is the bare minimum. May I, I see... I, you know, I don't know. We may or may not disagree on this. I sometimes have been to like some, some big, big churches, and this, uh, this is just my perspective. Um, when I see... I'm a musician. When I see tens of thousands of dollars yeah. of amazing vintage instrumentation. I've never seen this at yeah. at your church, I'm just saying. You know, I'll see a, I'll see a, like a $6,000 DW drum kit. Yeah. And I'll see these uh, like a, an amazing ride cymbal that costs 700 bucks. Oh no, man. It's like that that money Is that, that the money best could used for for, you know, the best good. Right, right. Yeah. And I don't mean to, yeah, I don't know. I know sometimes People like members will donate money specifically for that, and church funds Absolutely. aren't necessarily used for that. Yeah. But I always assume that, regardless of what's going on, that six thousand dollars for that amazing drum kit could have been given to some people. It could yeah. have been used somewhere else. Yeah. So that, so that's you know that's sometimes one of the things that sometimes uh, I guess I get a little judgy. I probably shouldn't, but I'll, I'll see. Some of these things, I just I just wonder because you know an amazing drummer can take a, a garbagey drum kit That's right. and make it sound really good. Yeah. But and I don't I don't disagree with that either. Yeah. Well, maybe that. we don't disagree on that many things. Tax what about exemption. this? If you invite me to church uh-huh. and I politely decline, uh-huh. are we no longer going to be friends? That's that's absolutely not true. Yeah, that's good. That's um, good. Yeah, yeah. we are friends, not based on church. You yeah, know, that's I'll, true. I'll bump into you at the coffee shop and. But, you know, something about having something, this conversation. To, are you looking argue. for something? I'm trying to find something to argue about. I'll, I'll go on tax exemption. You want to go on that one? All right. So tax, my understanding <laughs> is, my understanding is churches are tax exempt for everything they buy, correct? Uh, Yes. Okay. And the idea behind it is they are a, a charitable organization. Mm-hmm. And so, therefore, and all charitable organizations can be tax exempt to if, some if, degree. If they fall under certain categories, yes. So, and maybe I have a misunderstanding about it. Is the church tax exempt in any specific way that other, is there anything specific to churches that is different from, say, the Red Cross or other charitable organizations? I think, I'm not sure, like, they're legally what their status is. I don't know that ours is necessarily a 501c3. Yeah, maybe it is. I, I don't. I don't really know. I don't. I don't know all the tax laws, but I, I do kind of know where that comes from, and it's not necessarily just because they're charitable. It, it okay. is because it's yeah. religious. That it has to do with um, with religious freedom. That you know, when I pay taxes, uh, it goes to um, you know social social you know issues and, and things like that, and, and pays for roads and defense and for you know food stamps, and I mean it goes to a lot of things with the government. And so there's one end of paying taxes that. It does go to the common good. I hope you know. I don't oh, want to pay for yeah. nuclear bombs and stuff like that. But yeah. um, so there's that end. But the other end is like when you think about what gets taxed by the government. They're most of the time trying to exert some kind of control over the system. 
that we also use taxes to, um, I don't know, we tax the heck out of like tobacco and alcohol and things like that in order to kind of discourage certain things. So for the way we were founded, um, you know, if you just look at English history where, you know, they had a, a state and have a state church where certain modes of thought were discouraged and, you know, you go back to Henry VIII and the Catholicism thing and Protestantism and all that kind of stuff. Like there was a lot of blood spilled over the government's control and say so over religion. So when people came here, that tax is just a small part of government control that people originally didn't want anything to do with Mm -hmm. that kind of control. And so it did, and it did have to do with, you know, religious freedom. And today, I don't think we, we can't take that for granted. That's not something we worry about. And so we don't see all the way through that issue. And man, there are a lot of people that take advantage of that. I mean, there are a lot of pastors and Learjets and weird stuff yeah. like that. That oh yeah, I remember Creflo Dollar. Oh man, yeah. When he he was like he needed a new jet. He was like he got yeah. he had some, it's infamous. It's all over. YouTube. Yeah, there's weird stuff that that also creates some distrust for people yeah, that I see, think are really doing good. You see these mega people like saying God told him he needs a new jet, so please send your money. Yeah. And I imagine like yeah. you know little little old ladies writing their ten dollar check with their veined hands yeah. you know mailing it in and so okay so if i give church if i donate money to the church i can write that off my taxes right yeah it's tax exempt uh, yeah. or whatever uh, the term is. yeah whatever that is I, I don't know exactly how all that stuff works but I, so i can get a tax break it. on yeah. that i can get a tax break on that and then the church can take that money get a further tax break when they purchase stuff with that money Right, so is that some kind of True, yeah. of double, you know, double dipping? I don't know. I really, you know, don't have a huge well, but you problem get, with it. It's just always seems kind of weird. You get the benefit on one end, and then the church gets the benefit on the other. That it's not necessarily the church benefits from both, other than to say yeah, to incur. True. You know, you can you can write this off on your taxes if you give this, and then we won't. It won't go to taxes when we spend it. But I pay income tax, you know, and I I make money from the church. All right, I know we can disagree on this. Mm-hmm. Most Christian music is not good. I'm with you, man. (laughs) (laughs) We don't disagree on that either. Most contemporary (laughs) Christian music, of which I am aware, which is a small slice, is not good. What's the deal with that? I don't don't know. You know, it's like we're going to have a key change. You got to have the key change. Yes. You got to have the key change. You got to have... It's just not good. Yeah. Why is it so popular, though? Oh, it's uplifting or whatever word you want to put on yeah. it, you know. Uh, but like, yeah, I I think that's a <laughs> that's a problem because, man, where has the creativity gone? And you are a musician. You know? You're yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Weren't you? The, are you also some kind of music minister, or is that just something? you Well, do yeah. Like I'll I'll do some of the music. It's about once a month. I'll help lead the music and the, the okay. and I I'm the, I'll be the first one to tell you the simplistic chord structures yeah you know i don't know why or what that is but people i mean people respond to that uh for whatever reason yeah that was kind of in jest i mean i I don't find a lot of it i do personally like or listen to a lot but i was really just you know um i know that uh what's his name is it chris tomlin yeah yeah. he's not again everybody loves the same chords everybody loves him yeah i i I appreciate they're talented they got some great melodies i mean you know but it's pretty flashy at Song, this point. Songwriting, it's, it's kind of a cookie cutter thing, I think. 
What's that big J three J fest? J fest. That's like is, is that yeah, the big yeah. Christian music yeah. thing? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I knew some people who went to that to kind of a like music reviewers. And they were very you know oh were, music reviewers that went to J fest. Wow. Yeah, and they were kind of like they, yeah, they were they were they're fine. They gave you know good proper and interviews. That, you but, know. Um, I, I, I one think guy there said, are some good artists out there, you know. That, who's that really a good crit- and just if Kevin is. Uh, I think you're an accomplished musician. You're very good at what you do, and um, what you have that I don't have definitely. You've got a great voice. You really I, do. You've got a great, solid voice I that is struggle a, with it myself. But. Well, I think a lot of singers feel that way, but you definitely have this great voice. And um, anyway, you're. What's an example? Who are some Christian music artists that you do think is doing interesting, unique stuff? Yeah, um, I personally have always really liked Switchfoot and, and the stuff John Foreman's done. Um, I've seen so that's a Christian band. Yeah, I didn't know which that. like I've he seen started their logo like I like Switchfoot or whatever. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen that around, but I didn't know that. Okay, they um, I, I, were overtly Christian, but the thing is like. Hmm. Music that's actually good ought to be just good in its own right and not in one particular market. And those yeah. guys, it doesn't matter what, who they're playing to. People like their stuff because it's creative, it's good, it's deep. You know, there's just really a depth to, to the lyrics of what they do. They've been around for a long time. Um, but that's that's one that I think I've really enjoyed. That it It just seems like it's easier to play in the Christian market. For some reason, you know, if you have a positive message, maybe it's easier to, you know, business wise to do it through that, you know, and that's really what it is. It's a little cheap, but I'd say the other one, I don't know if you, I'm not a huge, I I used to really like rap a lot um, and and hip hop specifically. Mm -hmm. And Lecrae is one that I think is, Mm -hmm. is honest, um, that doesn't tie a cute bow on everything. So, you know, is that DC talks? main guy uh, no <laughs> <laughs> i'm just kidding lecrae lecrae okay yeah i've never, I've never yeah. took that. It's, it's legitimate hip-hop i think and there's there's especially in that realm there's people that are honest and i think that's the struggle it's hard, it's hard to, to be, be uh, yeah it, it, you know to be like to tie everything in a nice little moral bow and to also be honest is a struggle and you have to you have to deal with things and and have hard conversations with your music that yeah. Success in the Christian market is really hard to do that with. I'm know? sure it is. I mean, just anyone who publicly identifies as a Christian, I'm sure might feel a little bit of... Because we are inherently conflicted people. You right. know? We're, we're creatures That's who right. we do act selfishly, yeah. maybe even immorally, if you put that phrase on it. Yeah. People do stuff. Yeah. You know? We make mistakes, and sometimes we, we make mistakes, and we know it's wrong, and we like it at the time. Yeah. So all that stuff is extremely complex. So to discuss those those messy parts of, of humanity, they really you could just say are natural parts. Maybe even calling them messy is somehow doing a disservice to our, I don't know, evolutionary heritage or something. But just to to try to pretend like those things don't exist. That's right. While you're also uh, publicly professing certain things, it's dishonest. Um, you know, and, and, uh, but there's, and it's it hard to be honest. What the real story is, you know. Yeah, yeah it's hard to be. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, okay, well, listen, so we went many places. We talked Theodicy, and we talked uh, Chris Tomlin. There's a big... <laughs> there's, a lot of, there's a lot of... There's a lot of space between those two topics. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. One is more important than the other. I'm not going to uh, tell you what I think, which one is more important. Uh, oh, yeah, did, have you ever played like a an actual Leslie? 
Have you ever had like an Oh man, sleeve? yes. Like hooked yes. up to a Hammond or oh, something? Yeah. So are, are those hard to control? Like physically? Uh, Is there a lot of like? It was. A, it's a button, but like. I uh, mean, like when you're like I know, like the longer you hold the cord and the more that Leslie oscillates. Yeah. It, those things are so loud. They seem like. It seemed like raw intensity. I just can't oh, yeah. believe it. Is it what's you, it like playing one of those? You have to use it with caution. I mean, because if you, <laughs> and I watch people just come straight to that instrument and uh, wind the thing out. Oh, yeah. You know, and and it's not meant to stay up there. You yeah. know, so like when when that Leslie's spinning fast, you're yeah. getting out front. You, you use that sparingly. Yeah. But that right there is my favorite instrument, hands down. No question. Yeah, yeah. You know. Did you have a B three at one time? No, it was like okay. it was like a Yamaha okay. rock organ. I was at a. I've been to many fish shows. At one time, I was like a third mm-hmm. row, right in front of Paige, and he was he was hitting his Hammond super hard for whatever reason, and he was just he was just letting the the Leslie was just blaring, and I was like, right, it was like it was so awesome. Mm-hmm. It was just like this primal experience of like, oh, and then man. he would hold this the... cord, and it just like it just started growing and growing, and then he would just like just tap some little tiny add some little tiny note to the mix that is the most versatile instrument fun story i was uh i was walking through my church wearing a fish t-shirt yeah and uh, this old lady came up to me and goes fish and i'm like well yes ma'am like it's just one of my favorite bands i really like listening to these guys and she goes oh i know and i was like you know and she said Paige mcconnell is my nephew I've heard that Paige McConnell is somehow connected to yeah. Hicks and United Methodist yeah, Church. Yeah, absolutely. His, his family were just like very prominent people in in our church. Yeah, we have a class named after the McConnell class. It's the McConnell class after that's Sam. Definitely McConnell. the Paige McConnell. That is him. Fish. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Of course, I'm a fanboy with a PH in front of it. So um, yeah, I have heard that. I've, someone said I think it may be the same lady. There was like an, uh, an older lady who had like these widespread panic stickers on her car, oh, like really? fish stickers. And <laughs> somebody said they saw like an older white lady driving this car with fish and WSP on it. And right on. It, it was like maybe ten years ago or something. Huh. I wonder if that was if that was her. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. All right. So anyway, yeah, that's that's definitely great. Um, I always like to end with this. What are you reading right now? One I've I've been on for a while is the Lord of the Rings series. Yeah. Uh, well, Tolkien and C.S. Lewis had their debates, didn't they? Yeah. Was it now? Which one was it? Was it Tolkien was the Christian, right? And yeah. C.S. Lewis was not. Yeah. And they kind of famously, they're both English professors, yeah. and they debated that. And my understanding is when C.S. Lewis wrote the Narnia first book Tolkien was kind of they were good friends apparently mm-hmm. Tolkien was like don't don't do that you're boiling this down this is yeah he hated really an allegory right you know, it so was he, really simplistic allegory so yeah. that's true he really Tolkien was the Christian mm-hmm. Lewis was not and they kind of Tolkien kind of ruined Narnia for me you know reading mm-hmm. that and this is my first time through the actual books I've seen the movies but yeah uh, man, just the depth and the complexity of, of that story and the beauty of it that's not overtly anything that you, you can just pull so much meaning from, you know? That's true. If you they're, I like them both, but they're the Lord of the Rings books versus the Narnia books. I like the Narnia books. They're yeah. fun to read, but it's a different... Oh, yeah. They're, they're not on the yeah. same thing. And I've, I've definitely read Tolkien was a little bit... He just he thought it was kind of simple, you know, Aslan and all the. Uh, it is beautiful though when he's Aslan is singing the world into existence. Remember that scene yeah. where he's. I mean, yeah. that's kind of cool. But 
And what do you think about? Uh, have you read any of C.S. Lewis's apology stuff? You, uh, what do you think of those? Mere Christianity years ago, and and I think you know just generally now because I, I don't know that I can quote specifically from him, but his objectivity that he brings to the Christian faith that you know I think he's one that would kind of say either this is legit or it, it isn't you know um, and and I feel the same way. Why would I waste my time? You know, um, yeah. and I, I feel like the conclusions that he came to, being a skeptic, is similar. I, I I just feel like it's it's thoughtful writing and it's honest writing. You know, and I, I appreciate that a lot of C.S. Lewis. All right, so you're in seminary. You are reading Lord of the Rings. It sounds like things are going great. I appreciate you coming in. Yeah, man. Tonight, enjoy the thing I've done. I don't think that the full details will ever see the light of the sun. I never will forget that. Parking light on Eclipse Day. We wanted to see the sun in the sky.